Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Squiggly Careers podcast. I am Helen and I'm joined by my co-host of the podcast, Sarah. Hi everyone. And this is creeping up closer to episode 100 of the Squiggly Careers podcast, which is a bit of a milestone mainly just for Sarah and I, I think. (laughs) It is is a lot of hours that we've talked about careers and we have got working in the background, maybe if we can sort it out, a bit of a special event planned for our 100th episode, maybe a live recording. I'm saying maybe. I like how many caveats you're putting into that. It's like that's that's the least definitive (laughs) sentence I think I've ever heard. It's so like we, we may, if we can be bothered and figure it all out. I think we we are pretty committed to it. We just yeah. need to. We do just need to sort it out. The clarity on that is, we're hoping to do a live podcast recording where we'll be able to invite some of you lovely listeners and other people to the live episode of recording and have a panel and various things. We've just got a few details to sort. Minor thing like a venue uh, and <laughs> guests and paying for it and all those great things. But um, that's a work in progress. But will be exciting. Otherwise, it'll just be. Sarah and I in our houses, normal style (laughs) for episode 100. But today's podcast is all about conflict at work. And it's something that comes up quite a lot in sessions that we do one-to-one with people. It's something that people come to us quite a lot for advice for. And actually earlier today, we did a bit of a temperature check on Instagram. So I did a poll on Instagram to find out what our Instagram community think about conflict. And I gave people two options of what do you think when you think about conflict do you a avoid it at all costs or basically it's no big deal and 80 percent of the people that responded were like avoid conflict at all costs Um, (laughs) and it was just 20 percent that were like yeah it's no big deal like I'm fine with conflict which I think is quite reflective of the attitudes that I found out maybe my own attitude to conflict and also people that have worked for me and people we've coached what do you think Sarah reflective of your conversations you've had with people Yes, well, uh, we'll talk about it more. But certainly for me, conflict is one of my confidence gremlins. So when we way back when, when we first started this podcast, we did 10 episodes just on confidence gremlins. These are things that kind of hold you back from doing things that you want to do and that you, you know you'd like to do. And conflict is certainly one that I've had to really think about be really proactive about take a lot of initiative on because I do find it really hard so I'm certainly coming from that place of intuitively being Mm. like run for the hills (laughs) head in the sand avoid at all costs but I've learned through experience and because of some of the things I wanted to do that if you take that approach it holds you back 
And so I've had to work really hard um, and do things that have made me very uncomfortable. So I'm sure we'll talk about that later, which would be nice. I have got, I have to say, tonight's podcast, we were recording quite late in the evening. Um, and this is one of my gin and tonic podcasts. Um, have you got a gin and tonic? Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've got nothing. Yeah, Gosh. usually have a water, to be clear to everybody, or like, you know, <laughs> maybe even a herbal tea. But um, this week, and with everything I've got going on this week, my squiggly career is borderline knotty. We talk about at times your squiggly careers could be borderline knotty. So I decided that gin and tonic would be a good shout. Oh, well, you enjoy it. You you deserve it. <laughs> so if I make um, less and less sense as I go through, that that's why, essentially. <laughs> so um, the kind of flow for the conversation that we're going to have is we're going to we'll start off with the a bit of context getting into a bit of the research on conflict what's going on there then we are going to share a bit of our own experiences of conflict at work how that feels and what situations have been a bit conflicty and then we're going to get into different tips that we've got for how you can manage conflict a bit more constructively so first of all, just starting with that conflict. So when I was looking at some different bits of research on this, one of the things that became clear was that there are some specific triggers for conflict at work. And they generally come from one of two things. The first is conflict at work can be triggered by a communication issue, either poor communication, so it's either um, delivered poorly or received poorly, or it's a lack of communication. So a lack of clarity, a lack of awareness, a lack of understanding, that can be a source of conflict. The second trigger for conflict can be emotion and people's emotional response. And when I was looking at things in the research, I talked about the um, the flight and freeze kind of modes that our brains go into. So if we are scared or we feel threatened, maybe there's some kind of blame thing going on, or just maybe actually our general emotional state isn't great because of other stuff that's going on, it can create an emotional response to a situation that can then trigger conflict so I thought that was interesting if you think about your situations at work um, if you feel there's conflict going on to what extent do you think it's as a result of maybe poor or a lack of communication or maybe there's some kind of emotional trigger going on And in my research, I ended up watching, well, actually, I went down a bit of a TED Talk rabbit hole on conflict talks. (laughs) I was on the train home today, and um, I'm sure the people opposite me must have thought I was some, like, TED Talk addict, because I watched about six different TED Talks on on conflict. I like the fact everybody else disappears into a Netflix wormhole, and you you go into a TED Talk one. (laughs) I was was just like, I basically just, like, searched for conflict, and there was a list of them, and I started watching them. Uh, But one, um, there was one TED Talk that I really kind of got stuck into, which was about why you should try and use conflict and not always diffuse it and we'll link to that in the resources but there was a really interesting question that I had to pause and think about in that particular TED talk and it was about the question was what did you learn about conflict growing up so in terms of your experiences growing up how did you experience conflict when you grew up and how has that informed how you now think about conflict I think this is particularly important for that emotion point. Like what's the emotional state that conflict takes you to and to what extent has your upbringing and what you experience created that state? So I don't want to get into too deep because it's kind of very, it's very personal. But if I think about my upbringing, I think that conflict in my family, we didn't have a lot of conflict in my family, but I think it was because it wasn't that we didn't have issues. We definitely had lots of different issues going on in my family, but I think it was that because we 
it was all, almost like a everything's fine there's no conflict here move on it was sort of that <laughs> and if I think about my attitude to conflict now my husband would definitely say that that is how I approach conflict like I don't like to get into it I like to be like let's just sleep on it and it'll all be fine in the morning sort of that kind of avoidance <laughs> strategy what, what does the question trigger for you Oh, I, I went down a right <laughs> rabbit hole. When you when you sent me this message on WhatsApp, I was like, oh, that's so meaningful. And, and you, you to be honest, you could probably lose the whole podcast to just <laughs> answering that question, I decided. It made me think about the conflict I'd seen in my family. And actually, I'm definitely somebody who, like I say, shies away from conflict. And even if I think about, uh, you know, did you argue with your parents or not? Mm. And I'm one of three kind of girls, so I've got two sisters. And if I look at how certainly one of my other sisters would deal with with conflict, and I don't think there's a right or wrong, but she would be much more prepared to argue or to disagree with our parents, whereas I would almost like bottle it up and just be like almost resentful, you know, just like yeah. in my room quietly resentful. And so that's, <laughs> I can imagine I, you. I can just imagine yeah, you as, like, as a fourteen-year-old. Almost like plotting, plot, like <laughs> just sitting there plotting. It's almost like I was like a, some sort of like evil, not quite genius, to be honest. And actually, I remember like watching <laughs> that's such a bad title. I'm an evil, not quite genius. Yeah, exactly. Which is it's probably a good summary. And I remember watching my sister and being like, oh, and I'm the oldest. When I saw her, like actually talking about it slash arguing I was thinking oh I didn't realize that was a thing I didn't like <laughs> almost like that's so not ingrained in like who I am and my personality and even when I used to hear them arguing I really remember being like I don't even want to be in the same space I would go yeah. to my room and I always had like I was the oldest so I always had like the best room obviously and I remember spending a lot of time in my room by myself and this, at this point I then started to get into like loads of ins and outs of like conflict and, and I was like <laughs> Right, perhaps stop there because I feel like it won't be that helpful in terms of helping people deal with conflict at work. But I think it is a really fascinating question to ask yourself. So just in summary then, the question if you're listening to ask yourself is what did you learn and experience about conflict growing up and how has that affected how you think about conflict now? So that's the big question. See if it takes you down the rabbit hole like us. <laughs> um, and I guess the other thing that really prompted me to um, reflect a bit was about the, the narrative around conflict. Like generally the narrative around conflict is that it's bad, like conflict is bad and compromise consensus collaboration are good I think there's quite a lot mm -hmm. of like associations with conflict being a bad thing but actually when I when I was looking into is it really true like is all conflict bad there's quite a lot of evidence and research that actually not all conflict is bad and in lots of situations constructive conflict can be really effective so for example if you've got a uh, creative friction which I thought was quite a nice way of reframing yeah. conflict actually you've got creative friction that can be an opportunity to get new solutions so uh, to think about new ideas and to build on each other's ideas and that friction can lead to new solutions also if you kind of maybe conflict might come from putting yourself into challenging situations or having challenging conversations but in challenge and in stretching ourselves and sometimes in being uncomfortable that can be the thing that helps us to lead to growth yeah um, also, if you've got individuals who've got conflict with each other, but it's constructive and you can work it through together and you can resolve that conflict, that can actually lead to a stronger relationship than maybe the one that you started out with. And also, if you've got diverse teams, I thought this was a really interesting thing. So if you've got diverse teams, you are very likely to have more diverse opinions and you're very likely to introduce more conflict into a situation as a result of having diverse teams. But why would we then say, okay, well, we don't want conflict, so we'll have this really 
homogeneous team of everyone looking the same. So it's sort of part and parcel of if you want a diverse team, it is likely that you are going to get more conflict. So what we need to help that lead to is more inclusive conversations where we can invite those different perspectives. So I just thought it was really interesting that we shouldn't make this leap of conflict is a bad thing because actually there's a lot of examples where conflict when it's managed well and we'll we'll give the tips for how to manage it well can actually lead to quite positive outcomes in teams and organizations and I think actually we'll have to um, I'll have a look for it and see if we can add to the resources I'm sure McKinsey did some really good work on Everyone has this thing around, of course, diversity is a good thing. I think most businesses now kind of accept the business case around diversity from every different angle. But I think the nuance of diverse teams actually are often more challenging. And you know the stages of team dynamics, the kind of forming, storming, norming, performing Mm. that, that lots of teams go through in terms of those different team dynamics is harder for diverse teams. It takes longer to get to the performing stage than it does for a team where people are more similar. Mm. And I think that's something, it's actually a really important aspect of teams that is really underestimated. And then as a result, not invested in, in terms of, okay, so what does that mean in terms of the time that we might need to spend together, the relationships that we need to build, uh, understanding each other, understanding each other's strengths. So there's probably kind of something specific there that might be interesting for people. So I'll I'll see if I can find that stuff from McKinsey, because I've used that a few times to talk to people about teams and leadership. Mm. And one of the things I found really reassuring, because often you give yourself a hard time about, you know, oh, I need to get better at conflict and being able to disagree with people constructively. And certainly it's something I think about a lot because it's something I'm continually trying to get better at because I know I find it hard. But there's um, a book called Crucial Conversations and it points out that 95% of like an average company find it difficult to speak to their colleagues managers or direct reports on sensitive subjects so things that people kind of find hard or basically everyone (laughs) yeah and then the problems just tend to fester and I was just like yeah that's sort of you know you, you see that you do see that on the things that are particularly hard to talk about often I think the default is oh we just sort of won't get there or it gets left to the end of the agenda and then you don't really ever end up covering it or you know the real classic one of like oh um we don't need to talk about it now. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll talk. We'll talk about it separately or separate. And you just think, yeah, but then how's that actually going to get sorted? And I, I see that sometimes where I'll think that's because it's hard and it's hard to talk about, and people almost just avoid it by going, well, let's just not do it now. And then I wonder if it ever actually gets done. Well, actually, on that point, when I was looking into if you just ignore conflict, like actually, what's the harm? Do we really need to have conflict? It has all these benefits, but Ooh, maybe we could just t- ignore tell it. Tell me, I can just ignore it. Uh, No, you can't. You can't. Because, Sarah, unresolved (laughs) conflict leads to, this is like a a four things that is bad, uh, loss of productivity, stifling of creativity, creates barriers to collaboration, and it increases the risk of people leaving. So, um, Uh, no, actually, it's it's not really (laughs) a great option to let it fester, basically. We need to tackle this head on. And I think one of the things that's really interesting to think about just before we move on to top tips is we talked about triggers. So spotting triggers for conflict. I then think be aware about what your reaction is when conflict occurs. And this is different for different people, but certainly my reaction to conflict. um, And often I think the biggest trigger for me tends to be around emotion. And when people are emotional about their conflict or disagreement, my reaction as an introvert is to withdraw is to almost kind of not really engage. I don't probably quite put my head in the sand. I sort of almost just go, I'm going to find a different way 
I think my answer is often like, can I find a different route or a different way of getting to whatever it is I'm trying to do? But actually, I find it hard to kind of directly engage in those conversations. And I'm really mindful of knowing the trigger and also knowing what's most likely to happen. And because I withdraw, the other thing I do is I stop listening because in my head, I'm often thinking about the conflict or the fact that I feel uncomfortable and I'm very aware of physically feeling uncomfortable. It then starts going around in my brain, you know, like, oh, this is really Mm -hmm. awkward or really awful or, or whatever. And almost that kind of voice in my head means that I'm not actually listening to what's being said. And it stops me then being able to engage or to actually almost like participate in a useful way in that conversation so I think both I've certainly found spotting the triggers and spotting your reactions even just by doing those two things I think everyone will find actually that allows you to then think about what case of what action might I take to do things differently so hopefully as we start to go through some of the top tips you'll recognize okay that would be a useful action for me to take and that's essentially all I've done I would say probably over the past six years I have worked really hard on going, I know what my triggers are now. I know how I would ideally react, as in if I was just in kind of flight mechanism. When you're in fight or flight, I'd always go into kind of flight. And so I know what I really want to do. And then I've got some tips and tricks that sort of help me come away from those and actually almost see conflict as a positive thing, understand the benefits, because none of this stuff is a rational thing. You all know, everyone knows it's a good thing for people to have different points of view and that, of course, the right thing to do is to do something about it. But actually then taking small actions can feel quite hard. So it's almost like now taking this from the theoretical into the practical. And I think the starting point for that is triggers and reactions. I think there's probably just one area where you and I differ quite a lot, actually, is how we deal with conflict because... Yeah. <laughs> um, I am really okay with it to a point. So I'm really happy to taste somebody that I disagree. And I don't think I do that in a particularly aggressive way. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, I feel relatively comfortable in situations where there's an, like an element of conflict. But I think when the tipping point comes, so when it's gone from something that I feel that I can engage in constructively to something that maybe it's become like an emotional thing for me, probably, where you go into flight mode, I think that's where I go into fight mode. (laughs) And I suddenly go, this is it. And and I'm not an aggressive person. So it doesn't, it's not like this angry outburst. But I will, I sort of will take that conversation on. Like, God, I remember like an awful conversation when I was at, be really honest, when I was at BP, and somebody was um, really disagreed with what somebody was trying to do. I was in the marketing function, it was someone in the sales function at the time. And I remember on the phone he was like he said to me now you hang on a minute young lady and I was like yeah exactly I was like whoa 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 now this has become personal and I was like this is not the time to patronize me and I I said I you know rather than let that go I would take that on in the moment and I'd be like that is not a constructive comment we're going to get right back to the point and leave that for another time I will like go into it and I think I don't reckon you could be quite scary. It always sounds a bit scary. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It makes you feel (laughs) uncomfortable. And to be honest, it's not how I want... I guess the thing is, like, I can... I have said that and... I don't think, oh, that's a great way of dealing with it at all. It's an emotional way of dealing with it. And I think that's the thing. I can be constructive, constructive, constructive. But the point at which you go into flight. It's like a tipping point. Yeah. yeah, And you go into flight and that might not be brilliant. But I think I might go into fight. And I don't think that's brilliant either because I've sort of lost control of my ability and how I respond in those situations. So really useful to know what your triggers is. Mine is probably the point at which it becomes personal. That is the point at which I think that emotion flips into that space that I'm not that comfortable with how I respond to it 
So we've got a slightly random number of seven <laughs> top tips. And that's because we think there are seven really useful top tips and that's how many we could come up with. <laughs> so we sort of had a conversation like, does it need to be ten? And then we were like, why are we like making up these numbers? There's seven things that we think are really useful. So Do you want to kick off with the first up. one? Yeah, sure. So actually this was prompted by the TED Talk so, um, that I watched, so I won't over talk about it now. But it, the, the title of the TED Work is about conflict, use it, don't always diffuse it. And the point is that a lot of people, because your association with conflict might be that it's a bad thing, what you might try to do in a room where there's conflict is you might try to sort of mediate it and reduce the conflict in the room. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you buy what we were talking about earlier, that if there's constructive conflict and you're trying to invite different opinions, then actually that you can use it. Like you can invite and say, does everyone agree with this? Has anyone got a different perspective? Where's that coming from? What? Like actually you can invite a bit of conflict and disagreement and debate into a room and actually it can lead to better ideas. So it's just the tip is don't always assume that diffusing conflict is the right thing to do. Sometimes you can use and channel it to a more um, like a stronger outcome, stronger relationships, stronger creative outcomes, stronger solutions if you can do it in a constructive way. One of the things that really makes me think about in terms of often there are kind of interrelated concepts or kind of different things that we talk about is how important psychological safety is Mm -hmm. in the context of conflict. And that's not something I I know. If somebody's not done that research, somebody definitely should look at the kind of correlation or causation between those two. Because I would imagine, whereas a team, as a company, you've created really high psychological safety which we've talked about on the podcast before but essentially that just means that people all feel like they can make mistakes there's not a blame culture everyone kind of feels like they're trusted to do you know their jobs and so people are just feeling like they're in this kind of safe environment essentially I wonder then whether that makes it then easier to do exactly what you've just described because I was then trying to think about the times where I've seen challenge and conflict be used really constructively it's always been in teams where there's been really high psychological safety maybe if no one's done that research I should suggest it and then I don't know I feel like like, so we've had so many podcasts yeah maybe listen back to my podcast we've had so many podcasts where we're like that is a bit of research that's not done maybe we should do that we've got a long list of research that we'd quite like to do yeah so that's (laughs) the first tip um with a new research idea for anyone who's listening who's an academic Number two is to reflect and talk about the problem and not the person. And I found this really useful because my triggers for conflict is often around emotion. So people being emotional, I then associate that emotion with the person. And so often I lose sight of what's almost like the disagreement about. So rather than what is the disagreement about, I think about well, who is the disagreement with And that's actually a very different thing. That's when it becomes personal. You're saying, well, I actually disagree with that person. Mm. And then it starts to feel more about personality, who they are and those sorts of things. Whereas actually, if you can go, well, actually, we've got different points of view about how to solve X, Y or Z problem. Let's talk about why that is. Let's imagine we had the opposite points of view. What would you do? What would you get to? That's actually been something that I've been taught before, actually, on a, a leadership program that I have found useful is... If you're clear about what the actual problem is you're trying to solve, then imagine that you had the opposite perspective to the one that you have got. How would you make that argument? Because it helps you to understand, I guess, where other people are coming from. Mm. And it helps you to just more constructively talk about the problem rather than focus on the person. So I think, yes, sometimes you end up in conflict with people who maybe you don't always get on with brilliantly. But this is not about 
being friends with everybody. This is much more about being able to actually focus on getting to good solutions. And I think if you think about problems and not people, it will really help just how you frame taking action. And the third tip that we've got is also kind of a bit of a, a reflection point and the, the perspective that you've got, which is that you, in a conflict situation, it can be more effective if you focus on what you're hearing in the conversation, not what you're saying. Mm. Um, so if I think about that, if you're thinking about, I want to land this message, I want to yeah. get my opinion across, it is important that I say this, then it that becomes your focus, like making that point becomes your focus and it can introduce that kind of conflict into a conversation. But actually, if you're seeking, what's that What's that saying, Sarah, about seeking to seek, understand? Seek first to understand, understand and, and then, then to be understood. I think it's getting at that really, which is that you're trying to, where are people coming from? What is their perspective? What's driving this? And if you put your predominant attention on that and not trying to prove your point or push through your point, it's not to say that you can't make your point but actually it's more powerful for you to focus on the other person's perspective what's driving them is this emotion do you think or is it communication yeah. like start start trying to read into it a little bit more rather than just kind of default well I've got a message to make so I need to make it in this moment because I disagree with what you're saying that's not going to necessarily lead to constructive conflict yeah I always ask myself am I listening to hear what somebody's got to say or am I waiting to speak yeah, and it ah. actually it's this is and that's just generally quite a good uh, reminder because sometimes someone will be talking to me even actually if it's about something that I'm passionate about and I'm almost like so enthusiastic that I'm just literally just waiting to speak whereas I'm like okay I'm obviously not listening properly to what somebody's got to say in that situation but I think particularly in times of conflict you do stop listening because you disagree you just start to build almost like the opposite case in your head whereas. The other thing that somebody said to me around this in terms of listening is don't forget, you don't have to resolve disagreements or conflict all in one moment. And that really helped me. Mm. So actually, if you focus, let's say for the first time that maybe you're having a disagreement or maybe you weren't expecting somebody to disagree with you, which are often the situations I find hard is when I'm not expecting it. Actually, what I've learned to do in those moments is just to focus on listening. That's all I try to do. I actually don't try to almost make the counter argument if I've got a different point of view. If I do end up doing a bit of that, then great. But my primary objective in those moments is to really listen, really hear. My aim is to understand the other person's point of view because it's different to mine. So I need to try and make sure I really understand it because it's not kind of naturally what I think. That point about just don't try and solve everything in one conversation or one moment is just quite a useful practical tip that somebody once told me and it actually was really kind of transformative. Last week as well, I did a um, squiggly career tip on the power of the pause. Um, mm. And I was thinking when you were talking actually about why are we always thinking about saying something? Why does our attention go to what do I say next? And I just remember when I gave that tip, I was looking at some research and it said that we have a sort of a preset conversation cadence. I think it says that we talk generally within something like six milliseconds. I can't remember it. But basically the, the, our patterns of communication are that there is almost no space between when one person finishes and the other person starts like it's not natural for us to have this pause therefore we are always preempting what we're going to say rather than inviting the pause and actually what's wrong with a pause like even in conflict if you can stop yourself if like if you just put your attention on hearing and listening and then yes at some point you're going to respond but give yourself a pause before you respond it also might not only will it improve your listening it might reduce some of the emotional response because 
you're not just instantly firing back your thoughts <laughs> or opinions on a situation. I was just thinking then, do I have to like pause for an extra moment before I come in with the next tip? Because I feel yes. like we should be like living yes. and breathing this. But on a podcast, you, that, that perhaps boring. doesn't work quite so well. Um, so the fourth tip, which is one of the best things a coach has ever said to me, is name another word that you associate with conflict. So if you're doing kind of word association, if you say conflict, what else do you think about? And when she said that to me, the first word that came to my mind was war. <laughs> and when you realise that actually you're framing something at work in the kind of similar terms of reference as to something as dramatic and much more significant and clearly serious, it starts to make you reframe, I think, how you use language around people disagreeing and how you view conflict and actually thinking about this from a much more positive perspective and I was definitely one of those people who always viewed conflict as a bad thing always it was always my kind of starting point always my assumption whereas now I really try to frame I actually try not to use the word conflict because I find Mm -hmm. that it just has too many negative connotations and associations for me I actually just think about constructive challenge constructive debate constructive people showing their points of view conversations that get us to better outcomes by people kind of sharing different points of view so actually I I really intentionally don't use the word just because I have so many negative connotations with it I then try to think about any kind of scenario where I feel like okay there are different perspectives here starting off with a kind of positive mindset because I naturally I'm actually a really positive and enthusiastic person and that's probably the one time when, when those kind of things happen because I become quite withdrawn, I sort of lose that. And so actually what I really tried to do is bring my normal enthusiasm and positivity to those situations because I think then that's something I can do. That's, you know, mm. I can I can bring that. It doesn't mean that I don't take them seriously, but it doesn't mean that I suddenly become a sort of an inconsistent person and people go, oh, what's just happened to Sarah? She seems to have just, <laughs> you know, disappeared from this conversation. And also that's not great for people, you know, if you're leading teams, people need to see that it's okay to disagree if you're leading teams that you're not always right and that you're prepared to understand other people's perspective and actually that might be a better conclusion than the one that you've come to and I would want people to kind of know that and see that in me in terms of um, my leadership and my leadership style so just think about you know if you were to write down five words to do with conflict at work what would those words be mm. most oh, I'd love of them, to do that and compare them with you <laughs> yeah most of them probably wouldn't be positive but then think about what would it take for those five words to all be positive words and that's a very practical exercise that I've done because when I did those five words the fact that my first one was war and I hope lots of yours wouldn't be and I just hadn't even thought about it I just had built this thing up in my head as to being such a kind of dramatically bad thing and then suddenly just having that realization has really helped to move my kind of starting point for conflict to a really different place I think and that's been really valuable for me I think it's really yeah it's really interesting and I guess being along for the ride with you for a little bit with your confidence gremlin <laughs> I think you talk about it much more positively and you talk about your action much more positively when you talk about it as debate or constructive conversations like I almost see physically when you talk about them that that, mm. that is a more comfortable space definitely definitely something that I can see working um, so tip number five is when you are in a conflict conversation that the role that you should take in that conversation should be to come from a place of curiosity 
and respect because if it is anything other than that then you might be getting into territory which isn't constructive basically um so if i think about you know i was talking about that bp example that was definitely that conversation had passed i'd stopped being curious because i kind of gone into fight mode which was much more about what i wanted to say so i'd stop being curious and i think i'd also I'd lost some respect in that conversation and so what i might have needed to do is to dial back a little bit and either ask questions about that person perspective or where they were coming from or what was going on but I think it's a really helpful I'm not saying that these conversations are always going to be easy either because they're just not they're difficult conversations or because you emotionally might feel difficult you know because you maybe you're an avoider like Sarah so I'm not saying that they're easy but if you can think to yourself in the moment am I coming from a position of curiosity am I trying to find out and understand and am I coming from a position of respect am I coming across and do I feel like I respect their opinion if you're not because it's become heated for example I think you probably need to take yourself out of that conversation like as in say can we continue this tomorrow I'd really like to just reflect on this before we keep going because if you are genuinely in a situation and you haven't got respect for the person and you can't put your genuinely in a position of curiosity that is not going to be a positive conversation there's not going to be a positive outcome all the the bad stuff that we talked about that conflict can result in that is going to be the outcome so it may be just creating yourself a period of distance might mean that you can return to that conversation with a bit more control over this is kind of my respect for this person and my respect for the business and my respect for the outcome and what does coming from it as from a position of curiosity look like if you're not in control of that in the moment And the one thing I would say here is you can only focus on and control your own attitudes, mindsets, behaviours. So I could imagine people listening to this now and go, well, this is all well and good, Mm -hmm. but I do these things or I'm going to try and do these things. And that's not potentially what I always get from other people. And that will be true. That will be the case. And, And that's definitely been the case for me sometimes when I've been trying some of these things. But what I've actually found is that I almost just hold myself accountable for thinking, have I acted and behaved in the way that I feel like I have done all those things that we've talked about? Have I started from a perspective of listening? Have I been curious? Have I respected the other person? Have I tried to be constructive? Almost like as long as, and I tried to hold myself up to a really kind of high bar to do those things. Doesn't mean you always do it perfectly. But if you go, well, if I've got that high bar for myself, that is all that you can do. And actually I have found because sometimes it's more successful than others, but I've always felt better as a result because I've always felt like I've given it my best shot to do something positive and to do this in the right way and recognising that if you do this in the right way, you get to better outcomes. So I think just control what you can control and you can't worry about necessarily what people are doing. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So tip number six is to just figure out, and I would hope as you've been listening to us, whether you're um, a conflict avoider or a conflict seeker. And you've probably started to kind of get a bit of a sense of this. And there's a really good HBR article, um, which we will post in the resources, that is definitely one that's worth a read in terms of once you know what you are, and most people intuitively will know, what to do when you're dealing with maybe somebody else like you or somebody else different to you. So if you're a conflict avoider, and I've had this, and you've got a manager who is a conflict seeker. So I had a manager once who enjoyed conflict, like honestly. <laughs> she probably say that in like, such a scathing tone. I know. I think it's because I find it so hard to understand. But she actually like reveled in it. I guess they like would have been a debate team if that was a yeah. thing. And that was never a thing when I went to school. But, you know, if it was that sort of thing existed, you could just imagine them just like living it. Like people, some people like love a good argument, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And, I, and I, I find that so hard to understand because it's so different to me. But I remember actually I had to really work on how that relationship was going to be constructive and collaborative for both of us because she'd kind of really want to like debate something and the problem with me was in those situations, obviously, I withdrew. So I did the exact opposite of what she was hoping to just have, like, a really constructive, <laughs> let's debate and let's think about this. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm just going to start avoiding it. And you get to this kind of awful sort of shying off, standoff type way where kind of basically nobody's winning. Yeah. So I think if you can just self-identify and then think about, you know, the key people around you and which you think they are, and I think it's pretty easy to spot for most people whether they like enjoy this kind of stuff or not and almost like you know some people just challenge for challenge's sake don't they and, and again I think once you recognize those things you get much better at how to build relationships with those people and again to be constructive so I'd really encourage you to think about it for yourself have a look at the article and get some practical hints and tips on how to then work with people who maybe have got a different starting point to you. And the last tip, so tip number seven, it's actually from another um, Harvard Business Review article. This is a different one, so again, I'll put it in the links. Uh, and it's written by a guy called Mark Gerzen. But this tip is about diagnosing the type of conflict you're dealing with. And I found this really interesting. Like you want to diagnose whether it is a hot conflict or a cold conflict, because the way that you might work with that conflict would be different. So hot conflict, for example, is where there's like high levels of emotion so that you've got people that are speaking loudly, maybe there's language that's maybe a bit threatening, or it's personal, it's potentially like an explosive situation. So have you got a hot conflict situation on your hand? 
Cold conflict is um, very different. This is where people are a, bit more, a lot more closed. There's a bit more muttering going on. They're suppressing emotions. They're withdrawing. They're getting defensive. The silent treatment, you know, passive aggressive overload. Um, so that is cold conflict. Now, if you are stepping into that situation to try and turn that into a constructive um, conflict, you would treat it differently. So for example, if you're dealing with a situation where there's hot conflict, what we would want to do is try and bring those people together and maybe set some kind of ground rules so let's pause this conversation before this goes any further let's set some ground rules we're going to keep this personal in the article actually it says about maybe even giving people a time period so you would say look I want to make sure that everybody has their view and everybody is heard. The ground rules are we respect it when it's people's turn to talk. We don't make personal statements about people. And we're each going to have three minutes to share kind of how we're feeling in our opinion. So basically, if you're dealing with hot conflict, just letting it thrash itself out isn't really useful. But maybe taking a pause and setting some ground rules and putting boundaries around the conversation could be. At um, one point there, Helen, you said, um, let's make it personal. I think we meant... Uh-huh. In, make in it, no, no, don't, no, 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 yeah, don't. <laughs> Make it personal. Don't make it personal. That's definitely not. Sorry, didn't mean to say that. It's late. That you treat it quite differently if the conflict is cold. So, um, in that situation, what you would want to do is almost warm it up. This is very much back to the point Sarah was saying earlier about psychological safety. So, how can you create a situation where it's okay for people to say that I don't disagree? Like people might not want to say that because they might fear there might be repercussions but actually can you create an environment where it is safe and people feel like it's okay to do that and so it's much more about warming up if you want to read more about it there's loads more in the article about different tactics you can take if you identify that you've got cold conflict going on at work or maybe this hot conflict situation too so just to summarise those seven top tips, because we've talked around them a little bit. So just in case, I know some people make notes when they listen to the podcast. <laughs> so just to check, you've kind of got each of the seven. Number one, know when to use it. You don't always have to diffuse it. Number two, reflect and talk about the problem, not the person. Number three, focus on what you're hearing, not what you're saying. Number four, think about how you frame conflict. Number five, begin from a place of curiosity and respect and keep in that place. Number six, are you a conflict avoider or a conflict seeker? And what's the profile of the people that you work with? And number seven, diagnose the conflict. Is it hot or cold? So a really complicated area and one that I think everyone's always a work in progress in. So please don't try to do all seven simultaneously because <laughs> I can imagine if I tried to do all those, I would just literally implode. Um, so maybe take, don't you know... Don't mean to laugh, I don't mean to laugh. T- take, take the one that feels most relevant to your current situation or the thing that you'd like to work on the most. And I think just certainly from my experience, just starting to try things out, starting to do things differently and taking kind of incremental actions has over quite a long period of time has worked really well for me. As ever, all of the resources will be uh, on the website. And if this podcast is useful for you and you'd like to just learn more, there's a couple of extra ones that we would recommend listening to of the Squiggly Careers podcast. So there was episode number 20, where we talked about how to tackle difficult conversations, and episode 67, where we talked about managing emotions at work. So if this is an area of particular interest to you, um, then maybe worth checking those two out. 
And uh, before we kind of sign off and tell you what we're going to talk about next week, uh, we are going to introduce our new feature. So we mentioned on last week's podcast that we're doing a bit of a test uh, to see whether we can get some of you lovely people listening to share with us your best piece of career advice. And then we are going to play it live on the podcast. So we've actually got our first one through, which is from Alice. Uh, So we're going to play that now. So Alice is actually going to share her best piece of career advice. She's one of our listeners with us. Um, And then I'm going to talk about how you can share your best piece of career advice and how we can play it on our podcast for you. So over to Alice. Hi, Sarah and Helen. So the best piece of career advice I ever got was about defining your North Star. Because when you have a clear idea about where you want to get to in the long term, it can really help with making informed decisions about what to do in the short term to enable you to get there. If you know what your bullseye looks like, you're way more likely to hit that target. Brilliant tip from Alice. Thank you very much for being our first person on the Squiggly Career uh, Advice. Um, If you are listening and you have a piece of career advice that has been meaningful to you or you think would help people, or maybe you'd just like to get your voice on the Squiggly Careers podcast, then the way to do it is to record a voice memo. So on your phone, I only know the way to do this on iPhones, but I'm actually going to put the instructions for how you do a voice memo on your iPhone on an Instagram post. But it's pretty, pretty simple. You just search for the voice memo app on your phone. Record yourself speaking to your phone with your best piece of career advice maybe tell us your name that would be brilliant as well uh, so record your name tell us your best piece of career advice and then email that voice memo over to get in touch at amazingif.com um, we go through them all and our aim is to play one person's career advice a week at the end of the podcast so yes we look forward to hearing from you we'd love to get some other voices and particularly our community's voices on the podcast and so thank you so much for listening again today uh, we really appreciate you joining us each week continuing to rate share recommend the podcast it makes a real difference to us and we read everyone usually more than once in terms of the (laughs) reviews that we get because they make us so happy and next week's episode is actually inspired by um, the latest series of Chef's Table. I love Chef's Table, a brilliant series on Netflix if you like food. So um, convincing me to try and watch. And they're just, the stories are fascinating it's, it, and it's so brilliantly shot. It's really beautiful all across the world. So it's fascinating. And actually the most recent episode I was watching, this guy was talking about how his ambition for his career is purely happiness at work. And he talked about how it's so stressful being a chef. I think some of the hours they work and the dedication and the desire for perfection. And actually he's kind of come out of working almost phenomenal hours and actually having a really negative impact. And interestingly, he said since his goal has been happiness at work, he has produced the best food that he's ever done. So I was like, oh my God, that's like, he could be on an Amazing If podcast. (laughs) That's basically all I ever think about. But um, it really inspired me. So next week, we're going to dedicate a full episode just to happiness at work. What does it mean? How can you get more of it? And there's loads of really interesting things to kind of learn, read, watch and listen to in this area. So really looking forward to talking about that. But that's everything for this week. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 